Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 455. Coming to you on Wednesday, October 19th, it is the Roddies episode. Yes, the Roddies are back. It is the midseason Roddies. We're going to look back at the first half of the 2022 USC football season and talk about uh, our awards, our picks, our superlatives for the first half uh, and walk through the list of a bunch of fun awards that we've put together and so much more here on this episode, including listening to your questions as well. You have a say on this podcast, just like we do. As always, I'm your host, Michael Castillo, journal of my co-host here in the Reign of Troy studio, Lacey Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. We are back for the Roddies. We haven't done the Roddies in forever. Um, it's If you're if you're new to, to the uh, to the whole Rot Radio thing, it, the Roddies, the Reign of Troy Awards, Roddies. Yeah, they're very prestigious awards that we give out when we feel like it. To the players that we like. Yeah. I, I, so you never know when they're going to come. They, they are, uh, I, I wouldn't say annual awards. They are, uh, usually we do them. Usually. Semi-annual? We, semi-annual is like twice a year, right? Is it? Oh. I think so. I thought that was biannual or is that once every two years? I don't know. Hmm. 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 Think of like a semi-annual sale. Yeah, maybe. I'd, I'd, Semi-final never, means there's two of them. That's true. That's true. So a randomly annual <laughs> award that we 
do or don't give out Something in the postseason like or the mid mid season or or whatever we have time for it. I don't know. Either way, uh, we are back here live on YouTube. Welcome everybody to uh, another ish, uh, edition of Rain of Troy Radio live here on YouTube. If you're joining us, be sure to subscribe and like the stream as well. It helps grow the show uh, for the future. And if you're new to us over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you listen to us, you should subscribe as well. Uh, and if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review. Five stars helps us grow the show. Uh, Glenn over on the YouTube chat says, uh, semi-annual means two times a year and biannual means every other year. And Hector in the chat also pointed out that uh, the Roddies uh, may come around every year unless Clay Helton is in his 10th year because, yeah, we, I think we weren't in a very celebratory mood for the last couple of years. So. This is true. Um, yeah. the, I always have a weird thing about, like, the bi-blank, like, bi-weekly. So that's once every two weeks. It's once every, every two other weeks, week. but, like, bi-monthly can mean... Twice a month? Twice a month or like every other month. Yeah. It sounds like we're all just using these all wrong all the time. Yeah. Like it's it's very confusing. Yeah. Okay. What is the date of next Sunday? October 30th. No, it's the 31st. No, because Halloween is on Monday. Wait. Yeah. Sorry. October 30th. Yeah. Is next Sunday. Yes. But some people will tell you that next Sunday is the 23rd. Like no, no. Oh, no, that's mm. not true. That's not no because yeah, then the that's this Sunday. The next Sunday is the twenty third. Yes. Next Sunday is the thirtieth. Right. This, this this Sunday, Sunday is the twenty third. The twenty third. Yeah. Next Sunday the the thirtieth. Last Sunday the sixteenth. Yeah. 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 Generally agree. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Anyways, welcome to the show. As always, uh, let's get into the news. We got a little bit of it to discuss. We start with some injury updates. USC getting a couple of big injury updates on the Belitnikov winner from last year, Jordan Addison, and uh, Eric Gentry at linebacker as well. This was the big thing out of the Utah game. Both those guys left the game. Addison, a big contributor on offense. Gentry, a huge contributor on defense, not just because he's a huge dude, like six foot six, uh, but both of them. Um, key players. SC needs them in the lineup, right? Well, according to our friend Kilior of USC football, um, Lincoln Riley, quote, Lincoln Riley on Jordan Addison and Eric Gentry health status. Quotes, they'll be day-to-day. Don't think it's anything long-term for either of them. Well, that is outstanding news. Uh, that is definitely not what I was expecting. I was expecting USC to get lucky by having one of them not be out for the season. Or, you know, months potentially. So listing them day to day, very, very good. The only thing here that like causes me to sit back and go, mm, is is Lincoln Riley <laughs> doesn't really give us a lot of information on the injuries and he's not very clear about them. So to me, day to day just means that they aren't season ending, which again, very, very, very good news. 
but day to day also means a million things. Like Dak Prescott has Prescott has been day to day for like four weeks with that thumb injury. So yeah. like there's a difference between day to day and can play in the next game. The good news for sure. USC is that they are on the bye week this week. So you can literally just sit those guys and let them rest up. You get Arizona the week after, which we don't want to take Arizona lightly, as we've we've said before on this podcast, but you shouldn't need either of those players to beat Arizona in the end. And then you've got, in whatever order it goes in, because I have not stuck this in my brain yet, you've got Colorado and Cal. And those are not games that you have to have both of those guys. Obviously, you want them back. But they're not like you cannot win without those guys. So mm-hmm. USC has four weeks to get these guys from day to day to playing. And if that means that we don't see them against Arizona, that's fine. If we don't see them against Cal or Colorado, I would prefer to have them back by that point. But it's also not the end of the world. So if they were going to get injured at any point this season, getting injured at Utah with the bye week and then fortunate weeks after that, like I think... Uh, that's to me that worked out pretty well for USC. Yeah, I, I would expect to. We'll get our answer for sure next week against Arizona. Uh, not that I'm necessarily doubting Lincoln Riley in, in this sense, but um, he hasn't been completely forthright with a lot of the injury stuff. But I, I don't think there's any reason to you know keep this one completely hidden under wraps. I think day to day is the important thing because that means they're not out for the season. Yeah, right? and. That's that's the important thing for SC more than anything. Uh, we'll see uh, what their participation like is next week for the Arizona game. Uh, and then after that, it's it's Cal and then Colorado, according to uh, our pal Kenny, uh, who is in the chat here on YouTube <laughs> as always. So one yeah, of these the, days, I'll remember which way that goes. <laughs> just, okay, it's alphabetical order: Cal then Colorado. There you go. Oh, there we go. We fixed it: Arizona, Cal, Colorado. Yeah. And plus, that means that, that reminds me, yeah, SC does have an extra day to prepare for UCLA. Wait, is it? It's UCLA before Notre Dame. Notre Dame is at the end of the season, yeah. So yes. it, we almost got the full rest of the slate in alphabetical, but <laughs> dang those Irish. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, if UCLA is University of California, Los Angeles, and Notre Dame is University of N- Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. So, yeah, it is. California, the- Los Angeles, yeah. But then. The University of Colorado would be I, ahead of the University I, we, of California we, but we in Los just, Angeles. We we could just ignore that part. Okay. Yeah. That works. Yeah. Play along. Play along. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, other news. Uh, there is some, not only is this the mid-season awards episode where we're doing the mid-season Roddies, but uh, mid-season content is out there everywhere. And there's mid-season All-American teams out there. The AP has included Tuli Tui Pelotu as a defensive lineman on the AP midseason All-American team. And CBS has put out their team with Andrew Voorhees on the offensive line. Look at that. Yeah, I mean, very good for both of those guys. I think well-deserved for both of them. It's nice to see Andrew Voorhees get the credit that, like, PFF was the only one that was giving him anything. Yeah. And now he's starting to get paid attention to by the other sort of the, the bigger media selectors. So good for him. I think Thule is an easy pick for these midseason All-American teams. He's uh, he's just been so productive for USC. The trick now for both of those guys, but for particularly Tua Pelotu, is to carry through that first half of the season 
performance into the second half to lock in a place on the All-American wall. Because mm-hmm. I think Thule just needs to, he doesn't need to match his production from the start of the season, but he just needs to continue being productive and continue getting those uh, getting those sacks and tackles for loss. And he's going to have opportunities. Like we said, the next three weeks are, are weeks where the the competition will not be as as high as it has been over the last couple of weeks. So opportunities abound for guys like Thule to really make their mark and set themselves up for a, a big end of the season against rivalry teams and chances to write their names in the history books. Yeah, it, it's going to be a fascinating last five games, the regular season, uh, and then potentially two more uh, for the Trojans. Um one more, which you would think if they make the Pac-12 championship game, that would affect things like All-American lists. Of course, uh, as we talk about Roddy's, we'll do the full Roddy's episode in January, uh, presumably, as if, if we get there. If we, if we, <laughs> if we make it to January. <laughs> make make the uh, the Roddy's here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, potentially up to 14 games USC could play. I mean, I guess 15. You never know. You never know. You never know. Uh, let's let's start with the Roddies. What are the Roddies again? The Raid of Troy Awards that uh, we put together, I think, for the first time way back in like 2014, the first time that we ever did the Roddies. Uh, and since then, uh, they are awards named after various USC things. Um, and we always enjoy them. Uh, we've had uh, the, yeah, back since 2014. But hey, they're back here. We're here we are. We have fun uh, with them on on YouTube. We'll start with the first one. Uh, it is the Lieutenant Owosu Memorial Ronnie for the most improved player of the first half. And um, what did the, you know? The way we're going to do this is we each were going to pick our our winners for this, but we ended up picking the same people. So we're just going to write it down. We're just we're, we're we have unanimous it. picks. We have unanimous picks. So here we yeah. go. Uh, the, the first winner of the uh, first Roddy, the Lieutenant Owosu Memorial Roddy for the most improved player of the first half is Tuli Tui Peloton. Yeah, speak of the devil. Uh, he has been a devil for opposing offensive fronts all year. Uh, and and to me, it's very fitting that he is the Lieutenant Owosu of this season because, again, it's a player who was good before, yeah. but they took their game to a whole other level uh, and and really an all-American level at a certain point, and that's what Thule has been. Uh, he was good in previous years, potential, a lot of potential in previous years, mm-hmm. and now he's leading, um, leading, well, tied for first in FBS uh, in sacks and second in FBS for tackles for loss. So he's absolutely taken that step that Echenna Nwosu did, and if he finishes out the rest of the season, he's going to be on the all-American wall like Echenna Nwosu is. Yeah, and he is... You know the the him being the leader tied for the national lead in sacks is is crazy, um, given you know everything and I I wouldn't have sort of pegged him as having the better career than his brother, given that as recruits his brother was such a big deal, um, in comparison between the two. We've talked about this before that when Marlon Tui Pelotu came to SC, it was a it was a huge deal. SC flipping him from Washington. And it's not that Marlon didn't have a great career. He was he was great as a Trojan, but Thule has just taken it to a different level. Um, and we've talked about it before, who was going to be that guy to take the next step. Tenenawosu was one of those guys, took the next step to an All-American level. Talano Hufanga 
took another step, got himself to an All-American level. Who is going to be that guy on the defense this year? We talked about it potentially being Kalen Bullock. Right now, it's definitely Tui, Tui Pelotu. Absolutely. And, um, you know, tied for first in sacks with with Jose Ramirez. No, not the Guardians guy. Uh, but uh, but ECU, East Carolina's uh, Jose Ramirez with seven sacks, second in the country in tackles for loss at 12 and a half. Didn't have anything against Utah, but even still, still in the top of those leaderboards. Um, if we had to pick sort of like a like an honorable mention or a runner-up to this, uh, I who, who who would you take on this, th- this list? Well, I considered Sarah Wright because he just was not in line for any playing time. Yeah. Uh, he, I, I don't think, I think he was the surprise of the summer. Mm-hmm. And when he was named the starter, it was like, oh, wait, for real? Like, he's not just going to be about acting and he's going to actually take his craft seriously on the football field and, and earn a starting job. And part of me still thought like, yeah, he'll be the starter now, but this still has a long way to go to shuffle up the the cornerback uh, pecking order, but he's stayed there. He's retained his spot. And actually he's been very quiet all season um, in the way that you want a corner to be quiet. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the less often you have to think about a corner, the probably the better job he's doing. And I, and I haven't had to think about say, right all that much. So, yeah, I think he's done a, a hell of a job to elevate himself into a starting role and then to keep it. Yeah, I, I think that's a good pick. Uh, th- it's hard for me to name anyone else, really, given that so many of the other guys are really in their spot for the first time or are competing at a level that we've seen before. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and say Andrew Voorhees because yeah. Andrew Voorhees had a great season last year, too. Yeah. So, um, I don't think that he'd be most improved. And then, your other guys are dudes that came in on the transfer. And so it'd be weird to say Solomon Bird is the most improved, uh, which leads us into talking about the new guys. Uh, the Lofa Tatupu Memorial Roddy for the best newcomer of the first half. Alicia, who is it? My guy, Travis Dye. Yeah, the the former Oregon Duck running back uh, takes the cake for the Lofa Tatupu Memorial Roddy. So many options here. Uh, we could have gone Caleb Williams. We could have gone Mario Williams. We could have gone Eric Gentry. We could have gone Solomon Bird. Uh, Jordan Addison. Jordan Addison. Yeah. So many Mackay dudes. Blackman. Mackay Blackman. It ultimately ends up being Travis Dye, uh, USC's leading rusher, uh, 647 yards on 101 carries, seven touchdowns uh, thus far. Why does he get the pick for you for best newcomer? Well, I think I have to give him a lot of credit. He's already a fan favorite, and that's funny to me because I thought it would be harder to sort of come around on the Pac-12 transfers than the ones that came from uh, other programs that uh, we were just not as familiar with. But Travis Dye came in, and he just walked straight into the locker room and, and embraced being a Trojan, and his teammates embraced him, and he embraced leadership and was just has been an absolute pro and also – just a great leader and great guy on this team. Um, his ability on the field is even better than I thought it would be. I knew he was a good rusher, but he was sort of generic in my mind because I just didn't watch Oregon enough uh, to sort of be familiar with his game, in the words of Shaq. Uh, but, you know, he's he's converted practically every short yardage situation that he's been handed the ball off in. He has such great vision. His vision is so excellent that 
the offensive line is opening up holes and he has not missed a one to my view. He's reliable in pass blocking. He takes pass blocking very seriously. He's reliable as a pass catcher. He's just all over the field for USC in that run game. He makes that run game very, very uh, comfortable to go to despite all of the weapons that USC has in the passing game. I just think he's he's sort of weirdly in in seven weeks made himself or six weeks six months I guess made himself like a USC legend already in a weird way it's just spectacular yeah it feels like he's been here the whole time yeah uh, in the in a weird way he feels like a fully formed Vi Malapai yeah in like he's what you would have hoped Vi Malapai could have ultimately evolved into yeah um and that's like nothing away from Vi but like Travis Dye is just like the the another level the, yeah. the most complete version of of what that type of player could be right and yeah he he feels like he's been here forever because we've seen similar type of guys but just you know on the on the the peak of that and he's fit in perfectly you talk about you know the other options that this could have been and it could have been anyone uh uh, Dave in the chat says newcomer includes just about everyone on the team. Yeah, it could have been yeah. anyone. It could have been literally anybody. Um, but I like the, the that we're honoring Travis Dye here because somebody on this list, uh, somebody is going to get another Roddy. Yeah. An, another newcomer, <laughs> you can probably guess, yeah. um, is going to get a Roddy. And, but Travis Dye deserves some sort of recognition for the, the great start that he's had, averaging just about 100 yards a game. Uh, thus far and gone a hun- over a hundred uh, four different times in the, in the front seven um, and probably should have had more hundred yard games, you know, in the games that he didn't go. Yards, well, it, so. it feels very much like the games where he didn't get a hundred yards were not because of anything he did. He just, yeah. if he, if he'd gotten the ball a few more times, he would have gotten there. It would have just been routine for him. Yeah. Case in point, the Utah game. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we, we move on to the next Ronnie, Ronnie number three of the day. Um, we're calling this the Cardinal Heart, Roddy. Um, but realistically, this is the Clay Helton Survivor Award. Uh, this is the Valiant Veteran or the uh, the first half award given to the returning player who has proven they made the correct decision to stay at USC. Uh, who is that for you? I think there's one answer that you came up with and I couldn't find a better one. So we're riding with it. It's Josh follow. Yeah. Josh follow a player who I legitimately thought when, when we were looking at like, who's going to be on this roster next year, I wasn't even factoring him in because I figured one, he'll retire from football or two, he'll transfer or just sort of not be a factor. And instead he's the starting tight end and he's out there catching touchdown passes for USC against Utah and you know Shuck and Spratling on on Twitter posted a, a really great clip of that touchdown for Jordan Addison where Josh Follow blocks three dudes like Jordan Addison gets into the end zone because Josh Follow blocks three different Utes uh, on on Jordan Addison's way to the end zone he is he has completely turned his career around in the sense that he's healthy for the first time like ever uh, he's out there proving himself as a pass blocker, which was always the question mark for him. And he's also now getting the rewards of being on the field and and having the ball thrown his way as a pass catcher and and making, by the way, a really, really great catch for, I believe it was his first one, second one, a little bit more routine, but he can be a weapon for USC in, in the red zone. And 
it's really nice to see him emerge as a guy who is the definition of stick it out because he had probably four different t- off seasons where he could have easily made the decision to transfer and didn't. Yeah. And it was one of those things where going into this season, going into last season, it was having to force yourself to remember that he was still on the team. Yeah. Um, but he's still there and he, it's, for all intents and purposes, is USC's starting tight end at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lake McCree has, has dealt with some some health stuff, um, and Malcolm Epps has had his moments and and caught a couple of touchdowns, but so has Josh Follow in the last two games. He that got um, two touchdowns uh, against Utah, a, a big moment there. But really, more than anything, to, to speak to this award, it's the the guy who stuck around who still is making an impact. Um, and that's Josh Follow because he he's been here for the long haul and he's he's finally getting something that he deserved um, and a, a punctuation on his career when it was very easy that you could sit here and say that the the biggest part of his career was uh, as a freshman uh, he uh, in the in the Pac-12 championship yeah. game caught the fourth down play. Like the the seal it like that yeah. was looking like to be his that was his career highlight yeah his career highlight now you can add a couple touchdowns uh, against Utah there um, Hector in the chat says happy to see him contri- contribute this year yeah ab- absolutely uh, it, it is a blast to see Josh follow uh, the uh, the Sacramento guy back on the field for the Trojans uh, speaking of uh, big moments and, and contributors you wouldn't expect let's go to the Andre Hadari Memorial Roddy for the moment of glory of the first half. Uh, Alicia, there is only one potential thing that could be the moment of glory here. It's the needle on nudge. It's the play you'll remember forever from the first half against Oregon State. The Trojans down to their final play. Fourth down. Caleb Williams scrambling at midfield. He's not going to make the first down marker. And then there's Brett Nealon pushing him over the line. Over the the first down marker, along with a slew of other Trojans offensive linemen, it, it's what ultimately sets up the Caleb Williams touchdown to Jordan Addison at the end of the game. SC wins 17-13. If they don't pull that one out with the miracle that was the kneel on nudge, they're six and sorry five and two right now, mm-hmm. and, and and for all intents and purposes, I almost eliminated from the the Pac-12 championship game. But no, they're, they're there. SC pulls that one out with the Neilan nudge. And I go back to the, the Notre Dame game of, of 2005. So many people call it the Bush Push game. For me, it was always the fourth and nine game mm-hmm. because that's the moment that needed to happen for the Bush Push to exist. The Neilan nudge needed to happen before a Caleb Williams touchdown pass to Jordan Addison could exist. So the Neilan nudge, the moment of glory. Yeah, there have been some outstanding plays in this season, but the memorable one is definitely the Neilan nudge. Mm-hmm. It's got a it's got a good name too that always helps. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Matt Ramirez on Twitter. For, yeah, for, naming for coming it. up with that one. But yeah, and 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 it's a, a you know speaking of more guys who have been here for the long haul and and have seen their ups and downs in this program and things are paying off for them. You know, you look across that offensive line and those guys all could have left as well at a certain point. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to, you know, I'll shout out Justin Dietrich too. Cause you know, he fought to even get on the field for a long time and now he's a team captain and now he's, he's contributing and 
And the Neil on nudge to me was just the, the personification of an offensive line that has been beleaguered at times. They've had millions of different coaches and mm-hmm. sticking it out and then getting your moment and then being there for your moment. That's when you get the Neil on nudge. And it's not often that offensive linemen get those moments. So yeah, that's it. the coolest part too. Cause, and it's not just an offensive lineman, like getting the, the weird trick play touchdown too. Like this is truly a hustle a football play. play. Yeah. yeah a truly a hustle play. Um, from an offensive lineman, you, you love to see that. You love to see a guy make himself have a have a key moment and and play a big role, uh, like Brett Nealon did there. Uh, let's move to the next one. It is the Jail Mary remembrance, Roddy, for the epic blunder of the first half. Basically, the inverse of the moment of glory of the first half, the epic blunder and. This is probably of all of them the toughest one to pick, and I think that that's a testament to how good of a first half SC has had at the beginning of the Lincoln Riley era. That it was hard to come up with anything. We're having uh, to I, nitpick here. I I struggled to come up with anything. You wrote yours in here with a question mark, and I guess that that does make the one that makes the most sense. So we'll go with that one, and it's Lincoln Riley not calling a timeout early enough. Uh, in the Utah game, not spending one more time out to have uh, about 20 more seconds, 20, 30 more seconds, and one fewer timeout in the end of the game to potentially win it. That's the epic blunder. Like, if that's the epic blunder, uh, a, a decision that could have gone either way, and yeah, in hindsight, he probably should he, he should have made, but like if that's the epic blunder, I it think that, that speaks to how good your first half is, it right? It doesn't feel like an epic blunder. It feels like a well, that's like a 60-40 decision that maybe you should have just taken your timeouts, but it's not like if you had taken your timeouts, you definitely would have won the game. Like right. and it's not it's not like you you, you know, how well, how could you not take your timeouts? Like I think there's an argument for it's keeping not, your timeouts. Not like, Nathaniel Hackett. Level. No, no, absolutely yeah. not on the Nathaniel Hackett level. I you know I would feel much more comfortable giving this award to the referees during the Utah game. Uh, the the blunder of calling those those uh, roughing the passer calls, but you know, it's I mean, gotta... we could just give the referees for that game in general. I mean, just oh, like the 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 because the game was bad existence of of all of that. Not the... even not even just the USC calls, but like all, all the of calls. it. It the, was the timing things, the eight million reviews. The, the whistle at the end, yes. the, yeah, all of it. Yeah. Can we just give them let's, that let's, award? Let's do that. Let's, yeah. let's, let's uh, take this away from Lincoln, Lincoln Riley. Riley. And we're, we're giving this to, to the Pac-12 officials. We're just truly calling a heinous game. Yes. Uh, on all sides. Yes. Um, and, and one that, that was a struggle to watch. I think that as a, as a nonpartisan person, if you're watching the game uh, on Saturday, it would have been absolutely awful. Yeah. An otherwise epic game that uh, Pac-12 refs kind of ruined. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go to the next one, a uh, little bit of a cheerier one. Uh, the Dylan McCullough Memorial Ronnie for the top coach of the first half. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to be a newbie like Dylan McCullough was uh, way back in 2017 uh, when he was USC's running backs coach, but Someone who has made a big impact as a coach thus far this season. Um, mind you, most of USC staff, with the exception of um, 
uh, Coach Williams over in the secondary is is still a a newbie. So odds are it would be a newbie, and it is. Who is it? I've got Sean Nua, yeah. the uh, defensive line coach. I think that you can obviously criticize this defensive line for the run defense, although I think the linebackers are playing a role in that as well. To me, Sean Nua is working with the most limited crew, the one that had to take every transfer they could possibly take from anywhere that they could possibly take just to fill bodies. Mm-hmm. And he's turned them into a unit that's, you know, at the top of the charts for uh, national sacks, uh, for tackles for loss. Uh, he has an All-American that he has unlocked in Tuli Tupelotu. He's been able to turn to said transfers like Solomon Bird and Tyrone Teleni and to get them on the field and to get them contributing for USC. I just think he's done an excellent job. Uh, it, it, the, the, the level of difficulty there to get that unit up to form is so hard, and I think he's just knocked it out of the park so far. I look very much forward to what he can do as he continues to build that unit through recruiting and transfers and everything like that because the start so far has been has been very encouraging. Yeah, SC, like, like we've talked about before, uh, at one point it led the nation uh, in sacks. I'm pulling up the number right now. SC currently fourth in sacks behind... Liberty, Bowling Green, Old Dominion, and tied with Michigan, where Sean Newick came from last year, was was uh, Michigan. SC, 24 sacks so far this year. Last year in the entire entire season, 21 games, had 21. 21 last year. SC this year, 24 through essentially six games uh, because they had none uh, in the in the Utah game. Uh, so far this year, USC has four, five, five, zero, five, five, zero. Yeah. So SC either has zero or a or big number. Big number, yeah. Uh, last year, if you remember, um, I mean, not completely dissimilar. SC had zero, zero, three, zero, five, two, one, five, zero, one, one, three. So it's uh, like plenty in the more inverse. zeros over there. Yeah. Yeah. Almost yeah. like you're reading binary. And yeah. and yeah, Dave in the chat is saying that that he would um he would have voted for the the defensive backfield coach, which I guess we would either either give it to um to um oh my gosh. <laughs> Dante Williams Dante or Williams, yeah. um the safety's um Jesus, the safety's coach is uh Isn't Alex Grinch. Alex Grinch, yeah. So you would give it to one of them, I suppose. I guess my counter to that, and and I and I did think about awarding it to um, to Williams because the corners have been very good. The counter is that, like, yeah, the D line didn't get any sacks against Utah, but also the secondary gave up two hundred yards to a tight end. So, like, it's right. levels, you know. I think the level of difficulty I, I think for a the tight end is difficult because it's not just on it. Well, we can say again, what are the linebackers doing? We're going to yeah. talk about that in a second too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think Dante Williams absolutely deserves a lot of credit too. Um, he's someone who could have left with his tail between his legs after last year, after not getting the job. Um, I mean, Ed Orgeron absolutely quit on his on this team when he didn't get the job. Uh, whined about it, took his ball, and went home, and quit on the team before a bowl game. Dante Williams could have done that. He did not do that. He stuck around to the point where he's still on the coaching staff and 
is not only still on the coaching staff, but like getting the most in now, this is what year three for him. He's getting more now than he has in his time at all since, since being an SC the first couple of years. So, well, uh, these are, these are, I mean, this is the argument, right. For withholding judgment on coaches until, you know, year two or three, because like, these are his dudes. These are the guys he's recruited yeah and we're seeing that he's developing them, you know, mm-hmm. like not only did he recruit Sierra, right. He's got him playing at a starter level and he inherited Makai Blackman and he's trusting him and he's, and he's giving there for him. But Jalen Smith has moved up into a starting role. You know, I would still like to see, and these are the safeties where you look at Alex Grinch, but like, I want to see more from Kalen Bullock and Max Williams personally, but yeah. uh, that secondary is, is doing their job and, and you know, they're getting interceptions and they're causing havoc and well, they're taking care of business. With, with Sierra, right. I mean, we always knew it was going to happen because we know that he grows up to be LeBron James. <laughs> so like, come on, come on. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next award. Let's go to the seventh Roddy of uh, the episode. We're talking the Wild Bunch Memorial Roddy for the top unit of the first half. The top unit, we're talking about the top unit, not necessarily the big unit, Randy Johnson, uh, famed uh, Roski School of Fine Arts grad, Randy Johnson, of course. Uh, one of two major athletes I can think of that were was a Roski School of Fine Arts grad, along with uh, uh, Tom Barinovich, the more you know. Hmm. Um, anyways, uh, this one is a difficult one to put together. I think you can you can make a case that USC's best unit could be the secondary. You can make a case that it could be the defensive line like you talked about uh, with Sean Nua. Uh, you can make the case that it's the running backs. Uh, but ultimately, we go with the wide receivers um, case in point, it's a rebuild wide receiving core that needed a bunch of, of uh, remodeling after, you know, all those guys that SC has had in, in past years, Drake London and Amon Ra and, and Tyler Vaughn's uh, and all those dudes. Uh, and here we go, Michael Pittman. And those guys are all gone. SC needs to replace them with some with something. They go out and get Jordan Addison, the Bolitnikoff winner, and he's looked great, leads the Trojans in receiving. Mario Williams comes with uh, with Caleb Williams from Oklahoma, and he looks great. I, I was telling you today on mm-hmm. air, I said, if you, if, who is USC's best receiver? And you said it's Jordan Addison. I said, if you did not know that Jordan Addison was the Bolitnikoff winner from last year, like you just didn't know that information, would you still say it's Jordan Addison? Because I think Mario Williams, million, uh, Mario Williams might be performing at a higher level right now. But either way, the, the chance that you can just say that speaks to the level of how good these guys are playing, right? Yes. And, and one of the things that I really like about this wide receiver unit is that there is a balance to it. Obviously, you have your hierarchy with Jordan Addison and Mario Williams playing at that high level. You're getting game-by-game contributions from Brendan Rice, mm-hmm. from Taj Washington. You know, they're trying to get Terrell Bynum involved when he's healthy. We're seeing Kyle Ford, Ma- Michael Jackson the yeah. third. Um, we're digging down into the de- – oh, uh, Kyron Hudson has emerged as a guy that you can also rely on. They yeah. are digging down eight deep in this receiving core, and guys are making plays and being reliable and, and taking their chances when they're on the field. So I agree that I think you could 
you could easily make an argument for the secondary. You could make an argument for the offensive line, even given their run, their run blocking and where they rank nationally. Um, Dave in the chat says, without a doubt, quarterback. We're going to talk about that later. I'm just not, I'm just not going to refer to the quarterback as a unit. unit, So yeah. Um, but when in, you, unless it is Randy Johnson himself back there, okay. maybe Dante unless, would be a unit back there. Unless USC was like had three different quarterbacks playing games and all playing in a high level, like we're just going to save that for later. Uh, but to me, yeah. the wide receivers have been very, very reliable, even when, you know, you're looking at the second the second line of attack. So, yeah, really happy with them, especially because, again, you are bringing in a new quarterback guys from all over the place. They have to build chemistry with, with Caleb Williams really quickly. The guys who are already here had to build chemistry with a new quarterback. There's just a lot going on for that unit. And I think um, they've clearly been been uh, what USC's need, needed. Yeah, and you're talking about all the production SC has gotten out of those receivers. The crazy thing is, like, you look at the, the numbers, it's not nearly as much as it could be. And, yeah. and I still think there's a lot of production that they just haven't gotten out of those guys yet. Um, Jordan Addison leads the team with 39 catches through seven games. You you look at those numbers like that is those are pedestrian numbers compared to what Drake uh, Drake London had a year ago. But that's good. But yes, that's good. It's absolutely good because there's more distribution. Yeah, and there's less um, forcing these guys to be a superstar at, at every turn, uh, and that's a good thing. And and that's what's great is like I I think that Brendan Rice has has looked really good. And the crazy thing is he's only had 16 catches. Like, yeah. There is absolutely more to come from Brendan Rice. We have not seen the best of Brendan Rice. I don't think we've seen the best of Mario Williams yet. Mm-mm. So like, there's still a lot of, there's a lot that SC can get out of those guys. Uh, you know, we can see way more from the tight ends as well. Um, and there's, there's a lot of opportunity for, for that unit. And even still they're performing at a really high level. Yeah. Uh, let's flip it over though. Talk about the inverse of this. And the Bob Connolly Memorial Roddy for the underperforming uh, units of the first half. I I, I I think the fans know what we're gonna say. I, I well, I think it could it could be either one of these. It could be one of two units, but there's one unit that can't make this for me. Um, I think you can make an argument it's the offensive line because of the the lapses the pass in protection. pass protection. Yeah, but when SC has been so good at run blocking. I don't think we can fully put that there. This is the linebackers for me. It's the linebackers have been the most underperforming unit of the first half. And for me, it's Shane Lee as a liability in pass coverage, first and foremost. Uh, Secondly, uh, like while Eric Gentry has been a revelation uh, overall, the linebackers are the one unit that has yet to show flashes of elite play in any specific aspect. You know, the defensive line has struggled against the run, but they're among the national sack leaders, right? Mm -hmm. The DBs, yes, they gave up a bunch of yards to to Utah, but they're among the interception leaders and and they force turnovers more than anybody else. The offensive line struggles in pass protection, but they're elite in run blocking. All these other units are doing something at a very high level. We've yet to see the linebackers perform at a high-level level outside of a you know a few big plays that Eric Gentry has had uh, and a pick six that Shane Lee had against Rice, we've yet to see the linebackers really consistently be a force for the Trojans. And Eric Gentry even 
is still a work in progress. Like, I think yeah. we still all agree that Eric Gentry needs to bulk up and and become more uh, more of a powerful playmaker in the middle there. It's just that you can see where where his potential lies and where he can end up going, and that gives you a lot of hope. But when he's not on the field, it's just like you're sort of looking around going like, well, who's going to make the play? Who's going to make the play? And I'll give a shout-out to Tua Sivinamora. I like I like what he's out there doing when he's out there because um, he's noticeable to, <laughs> to a point. But, like... I feel like too often the linebackers are passengers in this defense and you need your linebackers to be a lot more than passengers. So there's still a lot of work to do in both recruiting transfers and development because that this is, and this is one of the things we're going to continue to talk about as we look, look ahead to the uh, second half of the season. And we've mentioned on previous episodes, like, okay, we're not all that impressed with what we're seeing from the linebackers, whether we're talking about Shane Lee or Raylan Goforth. There are guys behind who we would like to see more of, and can they earn their their reps? Can they earn their spot? Tuasivi Namora is earning his his reps. Uh, need to see maybe you see Rajon Davis, maybe you see uh, Chris Thompson, the safety who tra- who who uh, converted to linebacker. Like, when are we going to potentially start seeing guys? Is there someone hidden on this depth chart who can make that difference, or does USC needs to go out and and get somebody else? And and yes, Glenn in the chat, and and uh, I think Dave in the chat also pointing Hector out, yeah. and Hector special teams was an honorable mention for this. It's just they've been less of a yeah factor, I, I guess, for me. This is this is not a fair commentary, but I think the special teams has been very easy to overlook when they haven't had that really epically bad moment yet. Yeah, yeah. Like, the special teams hasn't been good. And they've been better in the last couple of weeks, to yes, their credit. They, yes. and Yeah, they, they've been better, but, like, they haven't given up the touchdown They're yet. They're not a strength. <laughs> and, they, mind you, they shouldn't have to give up the touchdown for us to say that they've been uh, not great. Yeah. Um. So, yes, the special teams, is, um, the return game has not been good at all. The, one of the best returns that they had all season came at the end of the Utah game and it ended up being called back for the penalty of Brendan Rice. So yeah. like, you know, that was a, a key moment where they could have used a huge return um, and it, it didn't happen. So yeah, the, the special teams surely uh, would be a candidate for the, for the Bob Connolly Memorial uh, Roddy for under a, a performing unit of the first half. Uh, let's go to the penultimate Roddy to discuss. Uh, the Soma Vanuku, unsung hero of the first half. This one, of course, a difficult one to put together because I think there's a few options of guys who could make this list. Uh, it could be Eric Gentry. I, I think he'd be someone who could be on this. Um, do, does he count as unsung? I think is a is a question mark. Uh, it could be him. It could be Makai Blackman. Uh, it could be uh, any of the offensive linemen. Uh, but ultimately, we go with who? Taj Washington. Yeah. 17 catches, 214 yards, no TDs yet, but it, it feels like he's he's due for one. Yeah, I, I liked Taj for this award because he truly is unsung, you know, and, and in the chat, Dave the Lesser is uh, saying Solomon Bird. I think we, we considered a lot of other names yeah, that you, Bird, could, Bird's a good pick that you could put out there, but 
I feel like we have sung for them at some point. Like some of these guys are are getting this, like, you know, uh, uh, Ogle family says Travis die. Like some people may be unsunging Travis die, but I have been singing, you know, from the rooftops for Travis die. Yeah. So like, it, it doesn't quite fit for me. What I, what I want to highlight Taj Washington for is that number one, he's come up with some really clutch catches for USC when he's on the field, he's taking his opportunities. Number two, Dennis Simmons, the the wide receiver coach, loves having him on the field because he's going to be out there being a blocker. He's going to be out there putting in the effort, being a leader. And, you know, when you look at somebody like Taj Washington, like he doesn't have a ton of great size. Like he shouldn't be the guy that you look at and say like, yeah, he can go out and block dudes. But he he puts his all into it and he sets an example for the younger guys and he sets a tone. And I think you need that kind of player who's not going to be your number one receiver. But when he's on the field, you know what you're going to get from him. And he's going to give you that effort. And I think to highlight him when, you know, we're we're not often calling out his name on CarCast. We're not often saying like, wow, what a great game from Taj Washington. But he's consistently been putting in those uh, performances for USC. And in this offense, it is so easy to go unnoticed. Taj Washington, you are not unnoticed. You're just a little bit unsung. Yeah, and he's led SC in receiving multiple times. Yeah. And uh, this is a receiving Quietly. core like we like we talked about before that has the Belitnikoff Award winner in it and Mario Williams, who was a really highly rated recruit coming out of high school, going to Oklahoma and then transferring from Oklahoma to SC. And the son of the son of Jerry Rice. Yeah, the, the son of, of Jerry Rice is just on the, yeah. the team. There's a guy named Michael Jackson. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's really easy for for Todd Washington to to get lost in the shuffle there, but he's made sure that he is solidly that number three receiver. Um, and we talked about it before. Who who is going to be the number two? I think the number two surely is Mario Williams, but who is the number three? It could be any of it. Could be any of it. Could have been any of them. And I think it's solidly right now Taj Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, you can I guess make a case for Brendan Rice, but like. Taj has played such a huge role um, uh, on this team this far uh, as an unsung hero that I think it counts. Uh, Let's go to the final one. Uh, The first half most valuable player, the MVP. Uh, No no name for this, Roddy. It's just the MVP, the first half MVP. Uh, Drum roll, please. It could only be one person. Of course, it's... Dennis Lynch, USC's kicker. No, <laughs> but it could have been if you if you would have made got the opportunity to kick a field goal against in, Utah against yeah. Utah and win it. Uh, he surely would have been up this uh, on this list as well. Uh, no, the first half MVP surely without a doubt, um, unquestionably is Caleb Williams at quarterback. Alicia, is there any doubt there that could have been anybody else? It's got to be Caleb. He. He could have been the winner of of half of the Roddies if we just wanted to to fit him in there. Yeah, he could have owned the best unit. He could have owned the best newcomer. Uh, but we were saving him the best for last. He has been so exceptional as a quarterback, making plays with his with his arm, making plays with his legs, being smart. He's only had one turnover all season. Yeah, I, I, I want to speak to that point. point. I'll it's leave like, that to you, but but just his poise, his playmaking ability, his improvisational ability, 
he is a next level quarterback that I see people comparing to um, to Patrick Mahomes. And I don't think that's an unfair comparison. He is that level of talent. Mm-hmm. And we are still seeing youthful Caleb Williams. I cannot wait yeah. to continue to see him as he grows and matures as a quarterback because he's already incredibly, incredibly, incredibly talented. And USC would not be six and one without him. No, I, I don't think so at all. Um, uh, credit to what this offense could be um, if he if he wasn't there. I, I don't think things would be. I, I don't think this is a losing team with with Miller Moss, but Caleb Williams and his ability to avoid pressure um, is uncanny. Like it's yes. it's insane what he's been able to do. The highlight reel plays that he's pulled off the dipsy doodles in the back in backfield and uh giving guys the noodle legs and all that stuff like it's it's crazy what he's done um and yeah he has a little bit of Patrick Mahomes in him where he makes decisions that in 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 a vacuum are maybe bad decisions maybe decisions that nobody else should be making but when you have the skill set of Caleb Williams uh when you have the skill set of Patrick Mahomes you can do a jump pass from your own goal line and throw across <laughs> completely across the field uh, and, and be on and target pick, and yeah. be on target and pick up a first down. Yeah. You you can, you can do little things where you have the ball flailing and you're making a guy move and then you're going to pick up a first down on, on, on your, your feet. You can do those things when you're able to have his skill and ability and awareness. And the crazy thing is with all those chances and risky um, plays that he's made with all of that, He's only turned the ball over once. That was an interception where he threw in a double coverage against ASU. He said two interceptions called back for, for a penalty, uh, but only turned over the ball once a, a, as the, the play stood. And has he, this is the, the one that's even more mind-boggling to me. With as many times as he's carried the ball, which uh, I, I just had the number here, 61 times. He's carried the ball 61 times. Uh, that includes sacks, of course. And he's yet to fumble the ball as a ball carrier. Mm-hmm. That is insane. Uh, there's been it's three like times. He, he, he's so technically he's been credited with three fumbles. They were all fumbled snaps. Yeah. So like I'm not going to count those on him as a ball carrier. Um, and the crazy thing is, of those three fumbled snaps, two of them, Essie didn't even lose yards on. Yeah. Because because Caleb Williams has the ability uh, to do crazy things. So. Um, uh, of 29 quarterbacks in America who have thrown two or fewer interceptions, Caleb Williams has the most pass attempts of anyone, two, 230, and the most touchdowns with 19. Uh, only Georgia Stetson Bennett has more passing yards of anyone who's who's thrown two or fewer interceptions, um, and Caleb Williams only has 52 fewer passing yards uh, than, than Bennett's. Uh, Bennett's touchdown interception ratio was seven to one. Caleb Williams is nineteen to one. Like, it's insane. Um, the the school record for uh, interception rate is one point one percent from Cody Kessler back in twenty fourteen. He threw five picks and four hundred and fifty two attempts. Caleb Williams right now, uh, which is one pick in four hundred and sorry two hundred and thirty attempts, is zero point four percent of his throws. So he's going to shatter. He's on pace to shatter that mark. Like it is crazy what he's doing. Um, 
uh, Dave the Greater said, "Is there any Heisman talk?" I I think there would be. I think th- there is. I, I think well, I think there is, but I think there would be more of it um, if SC won the game against Utah, uh, which well, is prob- probably unfair to him because the dude had an incre- incredible game. I don't think SC loses because of Caleb Williams. Um, five touchdowns. He did dirty things to the to that. Uh, Utah defense that are probably illegal in the state of Utah. <laughs> um, but leading your team down and and yeah. winning the game is definitely sort of Heisman and, moment and, stuff. And, and the Heisman is is always going to you know be favored by the teams who are in playoff contention. And yeah. SC I think is not eliminated from playoff contention. But when you look at it right now, like C.J. Stroud at, at Ohio State, Hendon Hooker at Tennessee, like those are the guys that are going to be in the top of those lists along with the already guy who's won it from last year in, in, uh, in Bryce Young uh, at Alabama. So, yes, I think he's he's surely going to be a Heisman contender as we go through here the next five games in the regular season uh, and potentially more. But nonetheless, he's, he's putting together one of the greatest seasons in USC football history, and that should not be uh, overlooked at all. He has been – um, he's playing on the, the level of, you know, I've seen comparisons to Sam Darnold. I'm, I'm sorry. Way ahead. I, I think Caleb Williams is better than Sam Darnold at this point. Um, I, I saw someone make the comparison that he's the, the best SC quarterback since Matt Leinart. This is no not disrespectful to Matt Leinart, but I think Caleb Williams is doing things that Matt Leinart couldn't have dreamed of doing. Yes. So the, the game has evolved since then, surely. Um, Matt Leinart was tremendous versus his peers, but the game has evolved and Caleb Williams is, it's just better. Well, when, when Sam Darnold was playing, we were talking about like, is he the most talented USC quarterback that there's, that there's been because of the dynamic ability that he brought to the table. Yeah. I am. And we might've debated that. I don't even, there's no debate to me. Caleb Williams is the most talented USC quarterback that there's ever been as a passer. His arm is ridiculous. He has running ability that the that the best passers in USC history, like you said, Matt Liner couldn't dream of. Carson Palmer couldn't dream of. Like it's just on another level. And the thing that I want to highlight the most is that, and this is the big comparison to me between Caleb Williams and Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold created a ton of things but there was always a high risk factor with what Sam Darnold was doing. And there yeah. were a lot of throws that, oh man, he, w- I w- he wishes he had that one back. I-, I don't even know that I could count on one thumb the number of Caleb Williams wishes he has that throw back that it's, I've seen this it's season. It's, it's one. Yeah. It's and, and, and Michael in the chat said uh, that uh, the interception was so ridiculous it almost seemed like a heat check. Yeah, because it was a heat check. Like, it was just like, oh, I, I mean, I'm, everything else is going for me, so just going to check chuck this one up and see what happens. And and the defense made him pay, but he has not. Like, that was the, literally the only bad decision, bad throw that we've seen from him this entire season. Like, to be able to go seven games at that level is... It's stunning. It's just, yeah. it's just, it's stunning. We, we, we haven't seen it before. And and it's why I'm, why I look at it and say like Heisman contention. Yeah. I think that his circumstances are probably not conducive to winning the Heisman this year. You never know because there's so much left in the season that things can change for guys like CJ Stroud. 
But uh, I think Caleb is looking at a potential visit to New York in December. And there's no doubt in my mind he'll be the Heisman favorite going into next season. And when I think about what USC can accomplish in the next two seasons, it's sort of off the charts for me because I didn't, I don't know, I didn't expect Caleb Williams to be this good. Like, I knew he'd be very good. I didn't know that he would be the greatest quarterback in USC history already. And I'm trying not to be uh, hyperbolic about so, it. But, but I, like, I, I think there's there's caveats to that. I don't know if we can say he's the greatest quarterback in USC history. Okay, most talented, most talented quarterback in USC yes. history. Yeah, that's fair. Because you still have to go out and achieve things. And that's right. that's but, Matt, what but, Matt Liner did was he achieved what he, like, yes. in the moment. So we need to see what, uh, what Caleb does. But if you put Caleb Williams in that Pac-12 title game, and give him an opportunity to win. Yeah. Like I'm he's, betting on Caleb Williams. And he's going to potentially play a top 10 UCLA team down, yeah. the, down the line. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing for, for me about Caleb is the Oregon State game was not good. Yeah. It was a, it not, was a weird game. It was a really bad game from him. But he has responded. And, and more than anything, like we talked about it before, like when you look back at the, the games that he had last year that he struggled at, they were the ones against good defenses. And so I think it would be easy to sit here and, and come up with a narrative that, oh, well, Caleb Williams just isn't good in the big games. Like, isn't good against the good teams. Like, he, he's still got to prove that. Well, what he did at Utah, I think, absolutely um, flushes that down the toilet. Yes. Like, yeah. Five, five TDs, no picks, 381 yards, and looked tremendous and did but- like, like, Incredible! The the, the little know, Rice, floating pass down to Tamara Williams, in, yeah, insane. Bryce Eccles doesn't have a crown on the field though, so. Oh yeah, this this is true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's get to the mailbag. Shall before we? we before we move on from the Roddies, yeah. I'd like to address some comments in the chat um, about handing out Roddies to the Rot Bots. Yeah, guys, don't get greedy. This is the midseason awards. <laughs> End of the season, we'll give out Roddy's to who sends us the longest email and uh, who's the most meh Rotbot and all that kind of stuff. Just be patient. All all the Rotbots are my favorite. All of them. Well, let's go to to, uh, the mailbag. Uh, And if you want to ask a question, be sure to join us here on YouTube by asking a question. Put the question before your question. We'll be sure to uh, star these and, and go back to them. Uh, we did get an a, um, email that we want to start with from Tim in L.A. who says, Hey, Mike and Alicia, here are a bunch of random thoughts since Saturday. Uh, sorry if it's dis- super disjointed. It's a stream of consciousness. Uh, the forever t- the 22 Forever tribute from Utah was awesome. The helmets look beautiful. Some things are bigger than sports, and it sucks that most of the time we're reminded of that because of tragedy. If you haven't seen it yet, go to Utah's Instagram to watch the game ball presentation to the families. I needed a moment to myself after that. How cool was it to see that there was zero quit in this team? You can teach uh, technique and schematics all you want, but you can't teach uh, not quitting. The Robots know him as the angry giraffe or the giraffe tree. The announcers uh, doubled uh, him as the praying mantis, but whatever we're going to call him, Eric Gentry had me ready to run through a wall after hopping on the field to hype up the defense. Uh, Next bullet point, in the Holiday Bowl after the Jail Mary, USC had to defend a Nebraska Hail Mary to win it. In my mind, the Jail Mary prepared them for that moment. Hopefully the misses in this game against Utah 
will have some redemptive value for the Trojans later on this season. Uh, next one. Yes, the Pac-12 refs are atrocious, but have we ever had a ref go into the stands and reprimand a marching band like UNLV versus Air Force? That was something you don't see every day. I don't. I didn't see that. I didn't Did see, see this. That? I need insane. to go look this up. That's insane. <laughs> um, Tim also says, since you guys are hot chicken fans, if you're ever out in my neck of the woods in Baldwin Hills, you should te- check out Hotville Chicken. Uh, the owner is from the family that is credited with creating the hot chicken style back in the 30s. Hopefully you enjoy it. All the best. Hope to catch you guys. And the other rot bots in the Fallout episode, Tim from L.A., Thanks for the email, Tim. I love the the stream of consciousness and all the all the bullet points. Yeah, I, I think you you nailed it about the 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 tribute um, that that Utah had for for their players. That was incredibly touching, and all of that. And in hindsight, yeah, how how are you going to lose to a team? Uh, or how are you going to beat a team with with uh, with two of their their guys on their helmets? That's always going to be a tough situation. Yeah. Um, to to go back to the hot chicken stuff. Okay, there's a there's things that Michael's we, about to disappoint you, Tim. We we need to address something. So yes, we love Dave's hot chicken. Also, when I went to Nashville a few years ago, I fell in love with Prince's, which Prince's in in Nashville is like the OG place. You can go to um to Hattie B's, but Hattie B's is sort of like the uh, new age hipster place. And um, Prince's is like the old school um, original um, hot chicken place. Um, Probably what Tim is alluding to about creating style back in the thirties, like that's Prince's. Um, But here's the thing. I love Prince's. I, I dream of going back there and having it again. We like chicken. I, I, Alicia and I are we 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 don't like hot chicken. This this is, and I, I feel like we're just going to absolutely disappoint everybody here. We're we're the weirdos that order it with no spice. Like chicken. I I, I no I I, I, I think that's the, the I, I think this is the right way to um to point it out yes we like hot chicken but only if we can get it not hot <laughs> we're the people well i'm the person because michael i don't know if you do ramen but like who goes to like a ramen place and gets zero spice we're the people who go to like well i'm the person that goes to like get indian curry and get like the lowest spice possible and that's too spicy for me so yes we love hot chicken plain no spice or minimal spice yeah, but uh, yeah, I want to. Ad- <laughs> We're so disappointing to them. Um, I want to address the Eric Gentry thing because I think future Roddies will include an award as the Eric Gentry Memorial. Um, that dude's got dog in him award or something like that because yeah. that moment of Eric Gentry hopping out on one leg is simultaneously hilarious. Like <laughs> six foot seven dude hopping out on one leg, but also just like run through a wall stuff, like run through a wall stuff. So yes, Eric Gentry is the dude, and I can't wait to see more of him. Yeah, uh, Ari Lopez says you're worried about food while the USC fan base wants a national championship. What can the list us? Yeah, <laughs> we, we 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 can we can do both here. We can do both here. Yeah. <laughs> um, David Orange County sent us a message before the before the episode and said. Going into the season, I was really looking forward to this offense throwing more to the tight ends. 
uh, and running backs out of the backfield. Can you think of a reason that has not occurred more? Uh, would that make our offense more dynamic if we did? There's a balance there because, you know, as we talked about, USC has a wide receiver core that you got to get the ball to and and let a lot of those guys eat. I think that Lake McCree being injured has maybe taken away some of the incentive to to get the tight ends really involved in the passing game. But we did see yeah. against Utah that they were willing to go to Josh Follow in the in the end zone. And I think I'd like to see more of that going forward. I, I also think that and I do this to myself too. Um the there's like this there's like this like memory of of the great tight ends of USC past like the Fred Davises of the world. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is like the Fred Davis doing what he did in 2007 was maybe not the best thing in the world for USC's offense, because if you are relying, I'm not t- before you judge. I'm if, just curious where you're going. If here. your tight end is like your number one guy, he's the number one target for you. That's very good for him. But where are your receivers? What are they doing? Like, what is going on with the rest of your passing offense? And the fact is that like USC has Jordan Addison, USC has Mario Williams, USC has Brendan Rice and Taj Washington and all those guys. And I would love to see the tight ends get involved more, but the way that they were involved in the Utah game is, is sort of more what I want. Now, did I see like tight ends up the seam in that game? No, I'm still waiting for that. But if you're targeting your tight ends near the end zone and, and scoring touchdowns, then I think you're you're sort of set up for success. So I'm not pushing the panic button on how much the tight ends have or haven't been used, or the running backs haven't have haven't haven't been used in the running game. Yeah, sorry in the in the passing game, because there's so many other guys who need to eat in this offense, and I and the offense is still scoring points, and the offense is still. Uh, is still, you know, doing doing their job. It's hard for me to argue that like Josh Follow should be a focal point when you have the other options. And yeah. I'm really happy for Josh Follow, and I love what goes on there. But like, you want your tight end to be like your fifth option, so that's yeah. going to mean he's going to be your fifth option. Yeah, like so. So to go back to the Fred Davis thing, like Fred Davis, I, I as much as you know, th- this is a Fred Davis stand pod for sure. Um, let, let's 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 also remember that like USC's receiving core in, in 2007. Do you know who the leading pass catcher was as a as a receiver? I don't even know. It was. I'm it was, pretty sure it's Vidal Hazelton. Yeah, someone someone in that mold. Yeah, like um, and and so like the, it there wasn't. It was the year. After Dwayne Jarrett and Steve Smith left, um, there's the year after them, and it was the year before uh, Damian Williams took over because Damian Williams sat out t- 2007 because he was transferring from Arkansas. So, like, there was he Fred Davis was USC's best option, and that's not to take anything away from him because, like, his season was great because he was USC's best option to go to from from Booty and Sanchez, like. They needed to go to him because he was their best guy, their best weapon. When you look at all of the weapons that SC has, the tight ends aren't in the top five of those weapons. And that's not a knock on the tight ends. That's just a credit to the weapons that SC has, like you said. And then on top of that, like 
I don't think the tight ends need to get need to be overly productive. I think the important thing about the tight ends, they need to be to serve as a threat. And I think that what we saw from Josh Follow in the in the Utah game is going to pay dividends going forward because and you know it's not just him. Like Malcolm Epps has had two touchdowns. He scored against Washington State. He scored against ASU. Um uh or Fresno State. Sorry. Fresno State and, and Washington State. He scoring in those games, like the that's you know, three games in the last four games or whatever that SC has had a, a tight end score a touchdown, like that is going to continue to open up passing lanes for the other guys in the red zone. That's what you want. You want those guys to be a valuable throw that the defense has to consider them as an option. Beyond that, in terms of production, when you have this much talent at receiver, I, I don't think that they need to be targeted a million times, just enough to be a weapon. Yeah, so um, I was just looking up some of the – Patrick Turner was the leading receiving yards, and Vidal Hazeltine was the leading receiver uh, behind um, It was all Fred close. Davis. Like, it was all it like, was all those close. guys had like 50 the, catches, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the years before, 2006, 2005, when, when USC had Steve Smith and Dwayne Jarrett, the tight end was the third leading, leading receiver on those teams, but the tight end only had like 300 yards receiving in those teams. Right now, USC's third leading receiver through seven games is Taj Washington, and he has 214 yards. So what I think you need to be looking at is how productive is your third leading receiver, third, fourth leading receiver, in, in not just wide receiver, but like, people catch pass catchers. Yeah. And if you're third or fourth guy, if they're, if they're up in the 500 yard range, then, then you're doing fine because you, your third and fourth options are there. It's just the way that, that uh, football has changed and the, the way that sort of attacking a, a defense has changed. So yeah, I do want to see the tight ends, but also like, just imagine in your head that Brendan Rice is a tight end and maybe we'll all feel better. I don't know. Yeah, I I mean, that that could work. Brendan Rice, he'd be a tight end on my Madden In team. your Madden team, he would yeah. be your tight end. Yeah, uh, for sure. All right, let's get to some questions that we got here on uh, the YouTube. Uh, uh, Thylacine says, uh, shouldn't we be rooting for Oregon the rest of the season to ensure that they get to the Pac-12 title game? They play both UCLA and, and uh, Utah at home. Two losses are both assuming we beat UCLA. Yes. Uh, we talked about this in the fallout episode or the car cast. I think it was the car cast at the end of the car cast. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that you, um, you want to start learning Oregon's fight song um, and, and pulling out your, your green and neon and pink and black and all their different colors yeah. um, for sure. Because Mind you, I don't know. Oregon might be the best team in the conference. Like, yeah. like from the eye test, I think it's very difficult to to sort of say like, I like SC, UCLA, Oregon, Utah. Like, they're all so close. I think all those teams are are surely worthy of you know being in consideration for the Pac-12 championship game, um, and they all are right. But as it stands now, SC's best path is if Oregon does a wrecking job on UCLA and, and Utah to sort of avoid that three-way tie um, or the, the three-way like SC beats UCLA, who beats Utah, who beats SC and just goes around in a circle of suck. Like you don't want that. Uh, and Oregon, you know, being the wrecking ball, I think absolutely would help. Um, 
in the Slack, a sort of scenario chart got posted um, by, I think it was Richard. And to be honest, most of the scenarios favor USC. Most of them do. The, 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 the real thing here is just for USC to beat UCLA. Well, to win out and beat UCLA. Uh, if you do that, there's a very, very, very niche scenario where... Well, I, I can go over the scenario. Okay, you, you could go over them. Yeah, yeah. You, well, actually, no. Let's save that for Monday because we're going to do a look ahead to the, um, to the rest of the season. Of the season. We yeah. can get into the weeds on that one on Monday. But okay. just suffice it to say that USC has to take care of its own business. Yes, Utah beating you at Utah. Sorry, Oregon beating Utah and UCLA takes some of the complication out of things. But when it comes down to it, all that really needs to happen is USC needs to win out and beat UCLA themselves. So uh, pay attention to what Utah is doing. But uh, we don't need to be like starting prayer circles or anything like that yet. Like let the let the season plays out. There's a lot a lot of uh, of football left to be played. Yeah, I I, I don't know Oregon's. Fight. I could hear it if you played it. I'd oh like, yeah, yeah, if you played one. it, yeah. But I, yeah, it, it's not one of the iconic ones of like you yeah. know that the, everyone knows the name of it and all yeah. that stuff. Um, uh, Dave the Greater says we seem to be able to recruit four star, four and five star skill position guys. Why can't we recruit the same level of linemen? We seem to be happy getting a three star lineman. I, I, I really think that this is. This is a difficult thing to. It's difficult to get four star linemen. There are less of them. There are just less of them. Uh, those guys absolutely exist, and SC has struggled over the years to get them. You think of guys like Sean Ryan um, in SC's backyard who went to UCLA instead of SC. Uh, you think of the guys who ultimately ended up going to to Oregon, um, like Penny Sewell, um, a guy who SC was in the mix for until the very mm-hmm. end, right? Like. There were there were, there have been dudes that SC has absolutely missed on that were four stars in the West region that they could have gotten. There just ends up being fewer of them. And in terms of sheer numbers, there's always going to be a ton of four four star skill position players. They they just are like that's just that's just how it is. I think SC being better nationally uh, and and truly getting back to the point where SC is quote unquote back is going to probably unlock a lot of the the national guys um but even still like SC I I I not wasn't in the off season I I did the math about SC's recruiting ability and like even in the last 5 years SC in terms of average star rating under under Clay Helton was SC was recruiting the offensive linemen in about the same clip um that P. Carroll was mm-hmm. the difference is that SC was able to develop them more too. Yeah, like and that matters. It, it's yeah. So it's not like P. Carroll had a ton of five star offensive linemen either. Um, it, just because there's not that many of those guys, those guys just don't exist that much. And that's the the reality is that um, it's just so much harder to evaluate the yeah. big men in in the front offensive linemen and defensive linemen. Um, it's hard to tell what they can become and that's a why there are fewer like five star four star of of those positions but that's also why it's much more important for you to take a few three stars and and build them up and take your four stars and make them great and take your five stars and make them hall of famers um and usc hasn't really done that uh usc's sort of four stars were hit and miss and the ones that were like you just think about like elijah vera tucker 
is the best offensive lineman for the New York Jets right now. And yeah. he was the best offensive lineman for USC, but like USC was sort of clinging on him as like the the, the great hope for that offensive line. Well, USC needed the, four Elijah Vera Tucker. Isn't this the irony though that like we we say that SC hasn't developed these guys, and yet Andrew Voorhees is someone who's getting first first round draft grades, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was the offensive lineman of the offseason that yeah. PFF just couldn't stop raving about him, right? Yeah. Um, on top of this, yeah, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker is getting people in New York saying that he's a Hall of Fame talent. Yeah. Um, crazy. Austin Jackson was a first round pick. Um, mostly because he was a five star coming out of high school um by by some recruiting services and like that was like he he was drafted on that skill set that pre-existed but um he's a good example of that though yeah where sc could have gotten surely more of him and could have been an all-american where sc needs to get better is making sure that the four stars that are there that they get that they don't miss out on sean ryan and penny soul um jonah t a, a guy who went to two-time uh caf champ narvon and then ultimately uh looked like he was going to go to sc and then didn't yeah um and then he had eligibility issues and all that stuff afterwards but like if if you are in in the west and a four-star and in sc's purview you've got to get those guys um, the Jackson Carmens of the world are always going to be extremely difficult because you just want to be in the conversation for them. Yeah. If you're a five star in, in Ohio, like it's, it's going to be a crapshoot as it is. Um, Jack says, how long do you think Lincoln Riley stays at SC? Is there a world where we get Cliff Kingsbury and he leaves for the NFL in the next couple of years? That's always possible. Um, I don't know. I, it's hard to tell with some of these guys. I, I have a feeling, though, that if he wanted to go to the NFL, like, he he could have gone. Like if, if there had been any sense that Lincoln Riley could be gotten by the NFL over the last two years, I think you absolutely know he would have gone before Cliff Kingsbury got it got a head coaching gig in the NFL. So yeah, it's I, hard to say. Some guys aspire to it. Some guys don't. We'll have to see. And the the thing is that if he goes, then you just have to deal with it then. And you have to find your best hire then. Like, I don't know that you can, we don't even know what the coaching carousel will look like in, in three years. This is the scary thing of, of, um, of caring about college football so much. Right. Yeah. Uh, Cause that is, that's what always looms. And it doesn't help that every, every coach that's won a national championship at USC with the exception of Howard Jones has moved on to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is an issue. Um, could it happen before he wins a national championship at SC? Yes, it could certainly happen. And I, I don't think that would be out of the, 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 the possibility. I mean, look at every coach. Uh, I think it was, it was a Jake Dickard from Washington state, like said that there's nobody in the world that, that, um, designs plays like Lincoln Riley, like, um, and pro coaches go to Lincoln Riley to, like look at his playbook and all that stuff like that happened yeah. even when he was at Oklahoma. So like, yes, that stuff is going to exist. I think it does help when you have guys like Matt rule fail in the NFL. Um, mind you, Matt rule and, and Lincoln Riley, I think people look at differently, but still yeah. um, the college hotshot and 
Cliff Kingsbury failing in the NFL too, essentially. Um, doesn't hurt, but also the more guys that fail, the more opportunity there is for people to move up to. So, yeah, um, take that when 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 it happens, if it happens. Uh, Herman says, do you feel UCLA is the best team in the Pac-12? Do you feel SC can beat them when they played each other? Let's talk about that on Monday. Let, let, yeah. Let's let's look ahead to to where things stand on Monday. I think that right now I, I sort of lean that way, but like yeah, we'll we'll talk more about that in detail uh, on Monday. Uh, last question comes from Dave the Greater, who says steak rare, medium rare, medium, medium well or well. The answer is it should never be more done than medium. Um, depending on where I am getting the steak, I will get medium rare, but I, I'm pretty happy with a medium. Usually I like my, I like my steak done well, as in like, I, I like it cooked good. You know what I mean? Um, but that usually means, uh, yeah, medium rare. Yeah. Good, good news guys. Michael has a lot of bad food opinions, but his steak opinions are not, well, I don't know. You're, you have one bad steak opinion, but your, your steak cooking opinions are not bad. It's uh, he's, he's, he's a, he's a filet mignon guy. He, he is not a fan of ribeye, which I myself and Jake from what's Bruin show, look at him and go, are you a crazy person? Like ribeye is the best. Why am I crazy that I like meat? I don't like fat and but bone that's where and the juiciness comes from. It, it is juicy. Like, what are you talking about? Filet is juicy. You're, 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 I miss uh, I miss Jocko's. Me too. Um, but no burger. Give me medium rare. Yeah, pink is where the flavor's at, for sure. Uh, anyways, uh, that's gonna wrap up the episode. We'll be back. Uh, on um, Monday, Monday, yeah, we'll be back mm-hmm. Monday, uh, and and yes, we will we will go over talking about the the rest of the the season. Look forward to the season. Sort of project out the season as it goes. Um, probably not make predictions, but talk about what's in store for for the remaining five games for USC and and how the landscape has sort of changed uh, for the Trojans going forward. Uh, we'll talk about the second quarter problem. Uh, you teased that in the last week's episode. I think mm-hmm. it works best. Talk about that on Monday. So join us again Monday, 5 p.m. Pacific uh, here on YouTube. Uh, and as always, over wherever you, you get your podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify as well. Leave us your reviews, like the stream, subscribe, and all of that. Um, Glenn says, who wins the U.S. Grand Prix? Max um, Calling it here. It'll be uh, Sergio Perez. Hmm, I like it. Yeah. Also... Glenn and Dave the greater the flavors and the fat yes absolutely mm-hmm. <laughs> also thylacine if you put a medium rare steak on top of a medium well steak is it one steak or two steaks it's two steaks yeah uh, that would be high steaks <laughs> one of them would be at least alright uh, we're out of here until next time alright see ya see ya